figured I work in brand, I get paid to make brands grow. And in my experience, it's not been that easy to make them grow. So if this course could make my marketing just a little bit less crap, then it would probably be worth it. This week, we are brought to you by Attest. Attest is a consumer research platform that enables brands to make customer understanding a competitive advantage with continuous insights. By combining unparalleled speed and data quality with on-demand research guidance, the platform makes it simple and fast to uncover opportunities with consumer data and grow without guesswork. Hello and welcome to the shiny new object podcast. My name is Tom Ollerton. I'm the founder of Automated Creative. And this is a weekly podcast where I speak to leaders of the industry about their vision for the future of marketing. And I'm on a call with Mari Sauna, who is Senior Brand Manager for Finish at Reckitt. Mari, for anyone who doesn't know you, can you give the audience a bit of a, a background on who you are and what you do? Yeah, sure, Tom. Um, and thanks for having me on your podcast. My pleasure. Um, <laughs> so in terms of uh, my background, I have worn a couple of hats in my lifetime, but I think the simplest way to explain uh, my career is I started my first job after finishing business school at Tesco. I joined the marketing graduate scheme uh, within a week of the new CEO at the time, who was Dave Lewis. And um, for those of you who aren't familiar with him, he really turned around the business, which was an exciting and sometimes scary experience uh, to be inside, on the inside. But one of the benefits uh, for me in my career was the creation of a brand team uh, a newly formed brand team within the marketing department. Um, and the idea was that this team would manage Tesco's own brands um, with the same rigor and uh, caliber as, as maybe the brands that at Unilever were managed. So that experience working on Tesco's own food brand and also launching Wicked Kitchen exclusively at Tesco, it made me want to join a company where brand was already the driving force of the organization. So I then moved on to PepsiCo, where I worked on some really cool, iconic snacks brands, you know, from Frazzles to, to Walker's Sensation. And then actually last year, I made a, a huge personal and professional transition from living in London uh, to living in Barcelona. So as you mentioned, I now work at Reckitt as Senior Brand Manager uh, on Finish in our Spain hygiene business. So, so that's me in a nutshell. <laughs> why was it scary at Tesco? I, was, I started the graduate scheme on a store placement. And I think the first big news that hit the headlines was um, a massive profit scandal. And also, I think what comes with turnarounds uh, quite often is redundancy and restructure. So it was turbulent times, let's say, um, but I got to, to witness, I guess, the start of Dave Lewis's vision for Tesco, uh, a new purpose that they brought uh, to the whole company and that, you know, marketing was really key to. Does that, so, does that answer your question? <laughs> yes, it does. And my next question is, what advice would you give to a student who would want to follow in your footsteps? It's a really good question. And I sometimes mentor students from, from Warwick, uh, my old uni. 
And this is something I wish I had been told. Um, it's called the Pi model. And it's a concept um, about what makes for success, you know, at work. But I think you can, you can apply it to a student trying to get into our industry. So if you imagine a pie with three slices, um, there's a P, an I, and an E. And the P is your performance, so how well you do your actual job. The I is image, so what people think of you. And the E is exposure. So who knows what you do? Who knows you and what you do? And basically, uh, a lot of people think um, that performance is the main um, aspect of success, so that the P is going to take up a huge portion of this metaphorical pie, right? Um, but some academic guy came in and said, well, actually, exposure um, is 60% of your success, 60% of this pie. Wow. Image is 30 and, and the performance is actually 10%. So the, the moral of the story is, is you won't get ahead just by doing a good job, but by not having managed your personal brand and when the people who make career decisions for you or, or hire you don't know about you and your results. Um, and if you'll let me, I can, I can share an example of, the, of pie in action that I experienced. <laughs> that's, that's a great sentence. Yeah, let's have some pie, pie in action, yeah, please. Let's have some pie. So a couple of years ago, I had a colleague who was promoted and I was you know, a bit awestruck by her. She was a really great marketer. And um, she moved on and, and I went to take over her budget files and I was in for a big surprise. So, you know, it didn't follow naming conventions, PO numbers are missing, you know, the cost center was overspent, the works. And my illusion of her perfection was shattered. But then I realized she'd applied the pie model. Her brand was a strategic person who could, you know, bring cross-functional teams together to make stuff happen. And her brand wasn't about being the world's best budget manager. So she'd focused her performance around being better at what mattered to her brand. And then she damn well made sure everyone important in the company knew her for that. Um, so, so what? It didn't mat matter that the budget file was messy. And that for me was a moment when Pi clicked in my head. And I think we can apply this to, to the students trying to get into our industry where you imagine that the P, the performance is your grades. So you've got great grades, you're top of your class at uni. Um, well, good for you, but that's only the 10%. And a lot of other people will have the same P, so to speak. So you've got to move on to the 30% of your image, you know, that pitch, what's personal about you, something you overcame or something that makes you just burn with curiosity. And then you really need to go big on the exposure, that full 60% remaining of the pie. Um, so I think if, as a student, if you do all that and apply the pie model, you're going to be ahead of the pack because you'll be noticed, remembered more easily than your competing students. And, um, you know, in turn, you'll be more likely to get selected. Um, and I know how competitive it is 
uh, these days for people going into our industry. So I hope that tip can help them. That is fantastic. And I'm going to just push back because kind of my nature, but I, I saw a post, I think it was Adam Grant. He's just an American work influencer guy that um, says all these really smart things that I wish I'd said. I really even, like him. I really like him. Think. Does he disagree with me? <laughs> well, I, it was, it was some, if it wasn't him, it was some like him. I'm, I'm sure Adam listens to every episode of this show. So sorry, Adam. I think you said something along the lines of like, just forget personal brand. It's all BS. Because if you form really good relationships and do really good work, then you're always going to be fine because someone will always give you a job if you have a good relationship. And if you're absolutely excellent at what you do, then you're kind of fine. Whereas what you're promoting here, although I, I do buy it, and that's a great story that you or your proof point is really strong, but that um, isn't, are we just in the danger of sort of hiring people with flashy LinkedIn profiles and sort of, you know, fancy slides and stuff when really, you know, the, the job is to do good marketing with good people. Mm, I think it's a really good challenge and I could almost flip it on its head because aren't the relationships, aren't they a result? You know, that's what creates your brand image. Um, so for example, Tom, you, you have an image of me based on our relationship. So I think you could almost like say both points are reinforcing each other. But yeah, I think the pie model isn't saying performance isn't important and that you can uh, suck at your job and your results. But the pie model is specifically referring to the relative contribution to promotions at work and that sort of thing. So, um, yeah. Well, that's an interesting model. So I'm saying I I do agree with you, actually. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a a bothist. Well, it can be an and and not an or. And if you could share the link, actually, to that, the, the, the person you said did that research, it could be interesting to, to dig down into how, how deep that is. But thanks for sharing that. That's a, great, uh, that's a great one. And my next fixed question is like, what is your top marketing tip? And I kind of feel I may have already had it, but do you have another bit of advice to, to go with your pie model? Do you have a, a cake model or something? I do. And I guess this one's more for people in the thick of it now, you know, in their marketing career. Um, and it's, and it's uh, a little part of me can't quite believe I'm giving this as my hot tip, but, you know, I've spoken to people graduating from business schools who say like, this isn't really taught. And then also I, you know, interact with people who don't really think this way yet. And the tip is that penetration is king or queen, if you want to put it that way. So the growth of your brand primarily comes from gaining new users, i.e. not frequency, volume, or price. So this is like straight out of the how brands grow, uh, I guess, school of thought. And uh, maybe I need to be more open to different, uh, you know, approaches to marketing. But as someone who works in FMCG, I'm quite attracted to the more evidence-based, you know, empirically proven side of marketing. So I think if you're a marketer and you're feeling overwhelmed at, you know, complicated segmentation of products, brands, tiers, consumers, then I would say just take a deep breath and remember penetration is king. And the best thing you can do today to grow your brand is to figure out ways to get more buyers, probably light buyers, to notice you and buy you. I think, Tom, 
if you just imagine how many million hours could be saved across marketing organizations globally if everyone was focusing on that as opposed to, you know, talking about loyalty, niche targeting, I think it could be incredible. But do, do you agree with the tip and, and what's your stance on these kind of law-like principles that Byron Sharp and, and his colleagues talk about? I'm really keen to hear your perspective. So the Byron Sharps of this world and the Mark Ristons of this world, ultimately yeah. what they need to sell is rules that apply to everyone, right? Because yeah. what they want to do is produce one thing, a book, a seminar, a conference talk that is as relevant to as many people that they can get paid for. So, mm-hmm. so they, to, someone writes a book like the 10, the, you know, was it the 21 immutable laws of marketing or, you know, like how brands grow, what they need I'll be very cynical here, is to have a model that applies to everyone. Because the more uh, more people they can cover, the more ev- everyone they can cover, the more they can sell. That's their gig. Mm-hmm. Whereas a, like a hot consultant, not that I've been that close to many of them, um, what they, they will go is, look, wreck it, this is your business problem and this is how you solve it with marketing. And it may well not be penetration, mm-hmm. right? You know, penetra- like acquiring new customers is expensive versus retaining existing customers or getting them to uh, you know grow across the portfolio or, or, you know, try new variants or so on and so forth. You know, it's the guys that have the view of, look, we need the, we need a model for everyone, kind of ignores the fact that uh, brands have very different needs. And, you know, I, I run a business that works, with, you know, got tons of live projects for different businesses and they all have very, very different needs. And if I just said, refuted all of their briefs and said, no, 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 it's just all about penetration. They'd be said, Tommy, you're not doing your job. You're not, you're not consulting with us. You're not understanding our problems. So I think just saying it's all about penetration suits the person saying that. But in reality, when the rubber hits the road of, you know, marketing, that isn't always right. Hmm. Anyway, it's not, this podcast is not about me. It's about you. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> Trick me into it there. Uh, I, I think it's good to be skeptical about the motivations of the source of these um, kind of, you know, principles. But at the same time, what draws me to them is that they're not kind of just made up. They are, you know, shown, you know, peer reviewed, you know, by an institute, scientific, all these studies, and they're trying to find things that replicate across industries and brands. So yeah, I'm I'm just super still attracted to to the scientific, the promise of science um, for the discipline. Yeah, no, no, I, and I'm, you know, the I'm I'm having a swipe at people that are far more qualified and experienced than I am, and yeah, sure, there's there's a ton of data to support all of that stuff. Otherwise, it wouldn't be so wildly popular. However, it just then from a practical perspective, in my own experience of running a marketing technology business that applying broad principles doesn't solve the problem in in that moment necessarily but anyway like you've you've got me all excited now and wound up which is (laughs) which is unusual for this podcast this episode of the shiny new object podcast is brought to you in partnership with manfest whether it's live in London or streamed online to the global marketing community, you can always expect a distinctive and daring blend of fast-paced content, startup innovation pitches, and unconventional entertainment from Madfest events. You'll find me causing trouble on stage, recording live versions of this podcast, and sharing a beer with the nicest and most influential people in marketing. Check it out at www.madfestlondon.com. 
So we're going to move on to your shiny new object and your shiny new object. And I've kind of blown it for you a little bit here. And I do apologize is the Mark Ritson MBA in brand management. So firstly, I salute you massively for having a shiny new object as someone's course in nearly 200 episodes. No one's even come anywhere close to that. So that's a great innovative idea in of itself. So, but I think a lot of people will be familiar with uh, with Mark's writing and potentially even the course because everyone in the industry seems to have done it. But what is the MBA in brand management? How does it work? Was it any good? Yeah. So the, the mini MBA in brand management, you called it by Mark Ritson. I call it by marketing week, but you're totally right. He's the, oh, I guess the, he's the lead professor and, and a bit of the brains behind the operation. Um, so yeah, I'd been kind of reading his column, getting into behavior economics and marketing effectiveness for a while, um, kind of just dabbling in it. And then I finally took the plunge and, um, you know, invested in the course. And it was the first time since leaving university that I'd ever, you know, paid serious money to, to learn something about <laughs> my vocation. Um, but I looked at, at, at it like an investment. So I figured I work in brand, I get paid to make brands grow. And in my experience, it's not been that easy to make them grow. So if this course could make my marketing just a little bit less crap, then it would probably be worth it. So um, for people who aren't familiar with the course, it's online. It takes 12 weeks and, and covers 10 modules that take you from the start to the finish of the brand management cycle. So from diagnosis through to strategy, through to tactical execution. And if it's handy for you, we can talk more generally about the course or I can tell you about one part that kind of stood out for me. Well, that was yeah, going to be my question. You know, what what surprised you the most about it? So, I think that would probably be that question. Mm, yeah, uh, totally. And I I was listening to your podcast, and and one of their guests said that their shiny new object was kind of going back to basics and not shiny or new. And and I guess that's the case for for my top takeaway as well, which was um, it was the module called brand um, called objectives. And the reason the objective module blew my mind was because I realized in my career to date, you know, in some of these most famous companies in the world that, that I had never worked on a smart brand objective. And in the class, we learned the difference between business objectives and brand objectives. So a business objective is something like increase net revenue by 5% or increase market share by two points. Whereas a brand objective uh, is based on funnel and what you actually need to do to the consumer in order to get to your business objectives. So a brand objective could be something like increase consideration by 10 points or increase top of mind awareness by three points. And what I realized um, in the module and you know has had profound effects on me as I think about my my job is, Having a, a brand objective really narrows down and helps you choose the right tactical options. So I think if you just have a business objective about gaining revenue, then in theory, all sorts of tactics are fair game. But if your brand objective is concretely a top of mind awareness or a consideration or something else, then you kind of have to shape plans that impact the consumer in that way rather than just having a 
smorgasbord and and doing everything. So I think brand objectives can really give direction that maybe I've lacked so far (laughs) in my marketing career. Without giving away any corporate secrets, how have you applied that thinking to your work? Let's see how to explain. Um, I'm fortunate to work in a company which has, um, you know, some quite robust brand equity tracking. And that tracking um, not only considers brand image attributes, but also um, classic marketing funnel. So awareness through to consideration, preference, etc. So um, I've started looking at the funnel for my brands, comparing it to competitors and looking particularly at the conversion between stages of the funnel to see if there's big drop-offs versus rivals. Um, So yeah, it's definitely a journey. I wouldn't say I've implemented it and cracked it, but it's given me a lot to chew on, I think, the brand planning. And what didn't you agree with? What what uh, elements of the course were you like, no, nah, no, nah, you got this wrong, or that's not my experience, or were you converted by everything? Mm. You know, I, I'm a big fan of the course, otherwise it, it wouldn't be my shiny new object. But there was one, I guess one part that didn't really resonate as much with me was um, Mark's a big fan of using founders, um, founders' stories as part of shaping the positioning of a brand. Uh, he really, he's worked on quite a lot of heritage brands and he really sort of values that aspect um, of diagnosis for shaping a brand's positioning. And I just, I didn't always see it. Sometimes you dive into, you know, a brand's history that you're working on and find out maybe it's not that, that pleasant or you're, you know, not politically okay for the times we're in now. And, and it can't be that it's not always that useful in my experience, but you know, hats off to Mark because he he knows his stuff. So I don't know whether other people taking the course uh, agree with that thought. Um, but there's not too much I, I, you know, I strongly, you know, disagreed with. I can't remember where I heard this quote, but the, in the last few days, someone said that a, no great business starts without a great crime, <laughs> which I thought was quite Ooh. funny. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, potentially. Which isn't something that you would want to put in your marketing specifically. But, uh, you know, don't don't dig too deep sometimes. That's, that's, that's my experience. But, uh, but there you go. But look, uh, Murray, we are unfortunately out of time. That has been a really fun and interesting podcast. And I could definitely ask you a million more questions about the course. And thanks for introducing us uh, to the pie model and uh, making it uh, and challenging me to share my opinion, which doesn't always I don't always get to do. So thank you so much for that. I wish if, I could have asked you more, Tom, but hey. Well, you know, but. <laughs> We'll definitely do a follow-up episode uh, next time for sure. But if, in the meantime, if someone wants to get in touch with you about Pies or Mark Ritten, how would you like them to do that? Where would you like them to do that? And what makes a really good outreach to you? Mm, good question, Tom. Well, I guess despite my bold move to, you know, choose to appear as a guest on on your podcast and share my views, I'm actually quite selective about who I interact with on social media. So. I guess my preferred platform would be LinkedIn and to increase the likelihood of a response from me, um, my recommendation is to just get straight to the point. Like, what do you want a chat about this or that or 
um, ideally just not telling me stuff. Right. Don't sell, but get to the point. Okay. I think that's, yeah. a, that's a clear enough brief. All right. <laughs> thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Tom. Hi. Just before you go, I'd really appreciate it if you could take the time to write a review of the Shiny New Object Podcast on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, whatever it's called these days, or whichever podcast provider you use. We're an indie podcast, so it would go a long way for us if you could just share the word and give us a bit of a support on those channels. That would just be fantastic. If you haven't got time, that's also cool. And yeah, if you could tell your colleagues about the podcast and also, if possible, don't forget to subscribe. And I'd love to hear your feedback. Uh, if you'd like to speak on the podcast or be a guest or you think I'm asking the wrong questions, anything, I'd be super interested to hear what you think. So please email me at tom at automatedcreative.net. That's T-O-M at, uh, I'm not going to bother spelling it. Anyway, you'll work it out. Thanks so much.